Hello, welcome back again to another edition of the Real Estate Talk with Robert L. Wagner. And today we have a special treat. We're talking about spouse to house and date the rate. But before we do, I want to thank each of you for joining me. I am Robert L. Wagner, and I help DFW residents alleviate the stress of selling and buying for the best possible price in the least amount of time. And I would love the opportunity to serve you as well. Be sure to drop a five-star review rating and we share this with your database. We um, have fantastic information to share with you specifically to our Dallas-Fort Worth market, but the principles that we're going to be sharing can be applied to many places across the country. Today, we are joined by Brian Tarbett with Cardinal Financial. Uh, Brian is our in-house lender at C21 Judge Fight Company, and he is a wealth of knowledge. I am super grateful to have him a part of our podcast as we're beginning this. Um, Brian is an individual that I can contact, I can call, I can text any time of the day or, or weekend, and he is available. And that is the beauty of having a, a real estate um, local, um, you know, not only realtor, but also lender who can answer those questions and understand the nuances of the market that is close by. So howdy, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Robert, thanks for having me today. Indeed, indeed. Before we get started, so Brian, I would love to know and, and just kind of allow you to introduce yourself to our, our, our audience. Um, you know, give us information about yourself, how long you've been in the market, the mortgage business, et cetera. So just give us some uh, update there. All right. So um, in the market, basically, I've been in this will be my 21st year to be wow. in the lending industry. So, um, you know, been around, been ba basically with the same company, been inside internally within Judge Fight. Uh, C21 Judge Fight of 20 of those 21 years. Wow. So um, ha have enjoyed it. A little past history was I started out as a school teacher, wound up being mm -hmm. in human resources and oil and petroleum. And here I am today. So Very nice. Um, that is cool. I didn't know that 20 of the 21 years you've been with Judge Fight. That is uh, remarkable. And it seems like everyone who comes to Judge Fight stays with Judge Fight. It's definitely a family affair. <laughs> That is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. So as we begin the dialogue, obviously, um, you know, we have people who are listening that are in, you know, all walks of life. Um, let's start off by talking a little bit about the different types of loans. Obviously, the most common we hear is conventional and FHA and VA. Uh, you know, lately you're starting to hear a little bit more about the USDA, but talk about the uh, the different loans and then kind of the eligibility that how you determine to eligible, you know, eligibility for those type of loans. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, so yeah, the most common is a conventional type of loan and conventionals come in two types. It's either a conforming loan, which is based on a loan limit, depends upon your county you're in. Again, West Coast, East Coast, you get a couple of these um, New York City or San Francisco or something will have higher conforming loan limits. And anything above that conforming limit is considered a jumbo loan. So mm -hmm. both of those are conventional loans. Um, beyond that, yes, there is FHA, VA, USDA. Um, you can do some other types of loans, but those are the most common ones. People usually go with a conventional loan. Conventional loves uh, a little bit more down payment usually and higher credit scores. Hmm. So you, you get the benefits of by you having a good history, good payment history, um, and ha having a little more skin in the game that they reward you by usually a little better rates and sometimes um, lower fees. VA loans, 100% loan, sellers can help pay the closing cost, has no private mortgage insurance. Great reward for those who have 
uh, been in the service, but it is for VA loans for those with honorable discharges. Uh, an FHA loan is, is typically used as more of a first-time homebuyer program. It, it allows people who may have had some uh, challenges in the past with credit, and they have a little bit lower credit scores. And I say lower, they, they could be something in the mid-600s. Um, and they even go lower based on your down payment. But FHA is more that first time. They do have private mortgage insurance. They do have funding fees. But it is a great way to help people to get into home loans. And again, they, they don't have any income requirements. So you could be somebody who makes a whole lot more money, have struggled in the past, uh, because you don't have a big savings account for whatever reason, an FHA would be good. And then USDA is more rural property is where you're going out to. They do have income limitations on those, and you can't be somebody who makes $250,000 a year, and I want to do a 100% USDA loan and do that. Um, but it is good program. So those are basically the most common type loans that we see out there today as people are buying homes. And you did mention that you have a, uh, you know, you know, where we call it MIP or mortgage insurance um, payment or premium. How does that work? Or does that continue with the actual loan over the course of time? Whereas like you, for instance, conventional loan, if you don't do 20% down, you can actually do less than 20%. I think a lot of times the myth is a conventional loan, I got to do 20%. You can actually go down as low as I believe, what, 3%, 5%. And so you, you will have insurance on that. But once you get to a certain threshold, that insurance payment is, is removed, correct? Correct, correct. So what's happened to a lot of people? Yes, you can do conventional loans at 3%. Um, again, anything less than 20%, you will get it. And the less money you have in the game, a little bit higher payment on that mortgage insurance. However, what's happened with a lot of people over the last two years, and if you're one of those out there, you might have bought a house two years ago with a conventional loan and put 5% down, and you got mortgage insurance premium. But based on the way the home values have gone up over the last two years, you can reach out to your lender and go, hey, you know, I understand I bought this house at $300,000 and, you know, put 5% down, which is only 15000 but my house is now worth three hundred and sixty. And so based on my loan balance versus my home value, I've got more than 20% equity in my house. I would like to eliminate my private mortgage mm. insurance. That's good. So by something jumping up that quick, typically the lender is going to require that you have a full appraisal. But with the full appraisal, if the value is there, then you can eliminate the can the PMI after two years. You know, so nice. which not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, if they see that it's gone up enough on the tax values, also, they may not even require full appraisal. So oh, wow. that's a good thing. So VA okay. does not have private mortgage insurance. You kind of talked about that. FHA, when you put less than ten percent down, and FHA will allow you all the way down to three and a half percent. FHA is going to give you a PMI rate of. 0.85%. So what that means is if you have a $100,000 loan and the rate is 0.85, they're going to charge you $850 a year for private mortgage insurance. Take that, divide it by 12 months, it's about $70 a month. You're going to carry that PMI on an FHA loan for your entire life of the loan nowadays. These are the current guidelines. But if you put down more than 10% on an FHA loan, Again, they recalculate your PMI at a lower rate, and it's usually 0.8 or lower, but you only have to carry it for 11 years. After 11 years, it can go away. Oh, nice. That's good. That's good to know. I never knew that you can actually, uh, based upon the 10% or you know threshold, actually get that for 11 years versus having it going with the life of the loan. So that's good. Right. So you mentioned um, you know, some of the affordability in the sense of like, you know, the percentages down, et cetera. 
what are some other things you, a person would need to know as far as like, you know, for instance, credit? Um, what, what would the credit score need to be to qualify for a conventional loan or FHA loan, things of that nature? Well, as far as credit scores go, typically anything 740 and above is considered excellent. You know, the higher your credit, the more everybody loves you, the better deals you get. <laughs> right. So uh, conventional with smaller down payments, they're going to want higher credit scores. Can you do a conventional loan with 600 credit scores? You can. You need or 600 to 620. It varies back and forth from time to time. But you, you're going to need at least 20 percent down. You're not going to put that 3 percent, 5 percent down and have a 620 credit score. Um, VAs are typically around the 580 range. So VAs can do it at 580. FHA, again, you can do them all the way down to 500 credit scores, but it requires a minimum of 10% down payment. Um, down to 580, you can still do the 3.5%. Your ratios may change as far as debt-to-income ratios. Um, and then USDA, about the same as FHA. Again, the, the higher your credit, again, the more we love you, but credit is definitely important. So it's important you make your payments on time. Follow your ratios as for debt to income on those credit cards. Uh, and, and if you have any past medical collections or something, something you may want to take care of to help boost your scores. Yeah. So two things you mentioned there, uh, and I'm a parking lot, uh, parking lot, the first one, which is the debt to income ratio. But the second one was the um, uh, medical um, collections, et cetera. Uh, I believe there's some new laws that just recently passed as, as far as medical collections on credit reports and the opportunity for people to really and truly look at their credit again once that's law the law is enacted or whatever you know the term is for them to actually look at their credit they might actually have a higher credit score is that correct or do you know anything about that right right so in 2023 they passed the law already it takes effect in 2023 so okay. next year which is not far from now that based on the balance of the collection as to whether or not they can put it on there. So in the past, if Robert, if you had a $25 medical collection, they could file that on your credit report. Mm. I believe the current guidelines are stating $500 limits. So got to have at least $500 balance owed in order to report as medical collection. And in the past, also, once you were late 30, 60 days, they could immediately put it on your credit report. Now they've extended that process where they want at least six months of your inability to pay that before they can turn around and immediately put it on your credit report. So oh, wow. there's some things that might come off a lot of people's credit reports as soon as this goes into effects. And again, we'll slow down and allow people times to maybe set up payment plans if they didn't have them out or didn't know about it, take care of it again to keep their scores higher. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, so the first one you talked about, you said, I'm going to parking lot. This one was the conversion. Absolutely. So kind of looking at that housing affordability and how that's determined Talk about the debt to income ratio and what you're looking for. Um, I, I love the, I love how you always give me the the tip to help someone when it comes to my my potential buyer of how to look at their home affordability. So, what do you do to help a person understand debt to income ratio and home home affordability? So, so typical going back to the conventional VA, FHA, USDA types loans. These are government backed loans. What they call them is QM loans. They're qualified mortgages. They meet government guidelines. And what the majority of all lenders do is we love to give loans that meet government guidelines. So when we're finished, we can sell the loan back to the government, get our money back, and then turn around and loan it to the next person. Okay. There are things that they call, for lack of better terms, hard money loans. These can follow under some different guidelines. So uh, again, these are government guidelines. So when you're dealing with the government, they have set in ratios 
that they like to run people through. But the most important thing when doing any of these government-backed loans is you need an automated underwriting approval. So what we do is we typically take your loan, and my standard guidelines, what I tell everybody, is 50% debt-to-income ratio. The first part is, what is your income? Are you W-2'd? Are you self-employed? Mm. Are you retired? Are you Social Security or pensions? So we need to look at your income. So if you're a straight W-2'd individuals, we use your W-2s. If you're self-employed, we want to see what you report to the government as income. Maybe right. not what you put in your pocket. Right, right. <laughs> as self-employed individuals, we have the rights to write some things off or things that we do to avoid paying some taxes. And it's all legal and all that fine, but we can only use to qualify you based on what is the taxable income. That's good. Okay? Um, the other type being if you're pension or social security, some of these, if they're untaxed incomes, you can gross those incomes up. And so you can have a little larger amount to start with versus what they receive. So, so let's say your income is $10,000 a month. The way they determine what Robert can afford is they're going to take your $10,000 a month, they're going to divide it in half, 5000 and they're going to start subtracting the debts that appear on your credit report. Mm. So Robert's got his car loan, and then Robert's got his motorcycle, mm. and then Robert has a, another installment loan for the boat, and then Robert has minimum payments on credit cards. Now, Robert pays off his credit cards every month, but they're never zero because he's always using them. So when we pull the credit report, if it says minimum payment $25, we're going to count $25. Got it. So Robert's total debt on his payments between the boat, the motorcycle, the house, uh, the car, not the house, I'm sorry, the car, Robert has $2,000 in debt. Mm. They're going to take your 5000 Subtract two thousand. Robert can afford a three thousand dollar month house payment. Nice. That house payment consists of principal, interest, taxes, insurance, mortgage insurance, and any homeowners association. So that's how you'll figure out. Now, if Robert has ten thousand dollars worth of income and Robert has no debt or very little, just credit cards, they're going to take his ten thousand, basically go at forty percent of that ratio. And they're going to say, Robert, you can afford a $4,000 a month house payment. So you can afford more when you have less other debts. So that's kind of how we back into it. And again, the higher the credit, the more they love you. FHA and VA can go a little bit above the 50%. Conventional is very firm on the 50%. Got it. Very nice. Let's go back to what you mentioned earlier about um, self-employed individuals. And so, you know, I have a lot of folks who are self-employed. Um, it could be counselors or barbers or beauticians or whatever the case may be. And talking about, you know, writing things off, not always reporting things. Um, maybe they're not reporting accurately their income or maybe they wrote, they wrote something off too much for the last couple of years. How far back do you go when it comes to looking at the income of a self-employed individual based on what they report to ta in taxes? So when somebody has less than five years in the business, so Robert, if you're a real estate agent, you have less than five years in the business, we want to see your last two years worth of tax returns. Okay. Okay. And we're going to average your tax returns as long as your income has gone up. If it's gone down, we're going to typically use the most recent year, unless it's gone down significantly, that we're going to go, Robert, what's going on? What's happening? Why'd your income drop so much? We might not like you. Um, so that's less than five years with a license and being in the business. Now, Robert's been in the business for 
more than five years. We have a license. We have something to document he's been in the business. There are Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. There's a Freddie Mac program that allows the most recent one-year tax returns. Hmm. So it's almost like you can prepare in advance if you've been in the business for more than five years, file your most recent tax return, reporting all your income and documentation so you qualify for the home you want. And then after you buy it, if you want to go back to writing as much off as possible, you can. So those individuals that don't want to do that at all, that's where we talked about earlier of hard money lenders could come in. Robert's got $20,000 every month flowing through his bank accounts. We can see all the money, but because Robert writes everything on his taxes, we can't do a government back loan. We're going to go to the hard money lender. They're going to take 12 months of his bank statements. There's 12 month programs, 18, 24 different programs. The more you can document, the better deal you get. But with 12 months, Robert, we can show the amount of money coming through his bank account that they like Robert. Now, again, those type of loans are going to require typically 20% down payment. You're not going to get a 3% down payment using bank statement loans. But it's another way to get in without having to go back and file taxes and pay a bunch of money to the government. Very nice. I, I think I think the biggest thing for people to understand is that it doesn't matter where you are or your circumstance. There's resources and creative financing in particular that can really solve some of those those concerns that you may have when it comes to home ownership and things of that nature, correct? Right, right. You got to find yeah. out have a conversation and find out what works for you according to where you're at. And if you're not there now, maybe it's a way to be there in 30, 60, 90 days, whether it be based on your income or based on uh, ways to work on your credit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if I'm, you know, in the market, I really don't know where I am. Um, One thing I love is that you do what is called credit assessments and or like these what if simulations. Can you talk a little bit more about why do a credit assessment and what the what is simulation is? So credit assessment is, is basically it's us having a conversation with an individual, whether in person or through Zoom. It's um, seeing where they stand as far as not only just credit, but also income, what they can afford. So to make sure you're looking at the right price of home and you're not heartbroken because I've been looking at this half a million dollars, but I want a <laughs> $1,500 house payment. Yeah. Um, so it's crunching all the numbers. So when you go back to your realtor and you go back to Robert and you go, okay, Robert, here's the price range I need to be looking at in order to meet my qualifications, my demands, my expectations, as far as a monthly payment, what I can't afford and what I want to afford. So Robert then could set you up to look at the homes and the price range. They're going to meet your goals and needs. That's the main thing. And then, and then, uh, so credit assessment is also looking at your credit report. We pull a credit report. We do a hard inquiry because you're looking to borrow two hundred, $400,000 from us. We want to know all about you. Mm-hmm. So what we can do is by pulling the credit report, we can go over it with you and say, hey, you know, hey, you're in great shape here or you have an old medical collection for $25 you might want to pay off or uh, you might not want to pay that one off because it's it's six years old. If you pay it off today, they're going to update it and look like it just happened and your scores went down. It's good. Or right before you buy your house, Robert goes, well, I'm figuring I'm going to pay off both my my car and my boat. You just closed two positive accounts by paying them off. So installment loans, when you pay them off, the accounts become closed. They're no longer positive. They're no longer negative. There are nothing. So maybe the best thing for Robert to do is buy the house, then go pay off the loans and get rid of the debt. So, you know, that that's one scenario. The other one is the what if. 
when we run people's credit report, sometimes we look at it and say, okay, Robert has a credit card with a $5,000 limit and he owes $3,000. So if we took Robert's credit card, we paid it down to $1,500. We don't have to pay it off. We want to get down to that 30% utility of that credit card availability. What would happen to his credit scores? And we plug Mm -hmm. it in our system and it says Robert's scores will go up 22 points. Mm -hmm. So we know a way that one immediately, if Robert has the $1,500 pay down the credit card or how we can jump his scores 22 points where now, which gets him either better interest rates, lower fees, Mm. or just enables Robert now qualifies to buy a home where before he didn't because his scores were too low. That's good. That's good. And I think it's important. I love that because I've seen it in in action. I have a, a, you know, some cash on hand. I want to, you know, get the best use of this cash when it comes to taking care of some debt. What if simulation can help you determine like, you know, I might just think that, well, I go pay this credit card off and that might not only boost my credit, but five points versus the strategy that you can give as a lender with the what is simulation can tell you exactly what is going to benefit by using that money in the best way. I think it's also important. You mentioned earlier about um, not going out looking at certain homes before you get, um, you know, the understanding of what you can afford. Right. Right. Talk a little bit about the pre-qualification versus pre-approval. I think that a lot of times people don't understand that there's a difference of being pre-qualified versus pre-approved. Right, right, right. And, and so you're talking about champagne taste on a beer budget. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we, we all want finer things in life. And oh, yeah. Why not? So, um, so the pre-qualification versus the pre-approval. A pre-qualification is when I, I meet with an individual and we talk and Robert goes, I make X amount of dollars and... Uh, I've got this much in the bank and I've lived here for this long and all this. We pull Robert's credit. Robert's got excellent credit. That is a pre-qualification. We trust Robert, but in order to get approval, we must verify. Mm. So then we want Robert's pay stubs. We want his W-2s. We want a copy of his ID. We want his tax returns. We're going to verify his documentation in order to get Robert a pre-approval. Now, number one, we run it through an automated underwriting But two, we take his documentation and we run it through an actual person underwriter to see if they have any questions, concerns, because it's a second set of eyes to review and go over with Robert and his purchase ability. So Robert knows when he goes in to make an offer now, he is approved, not just qualified. We've actually documented. It's a stronger offer. So when you get in a competitive bid market, if Robert and I are both bidding for the same house, and everything's equal, the offer amount, what we're willing to do and all this. But Robert is pre-approved, but I'm only pre-qualified as a lender. They look at that and they go, we like the approval people. You know, Absolutely. one, somebody has verified. Number two, Robert may be able to close quicker on the purchase of a home if that's important than the person who is only pre-qualified. So an approval is a great thing to have, a pre-approval. You know, uh, the, the good realtors, when they're listing your home and they're selling your home and they get offers, if they have not already received a call from the lender That's telling good. them about the buyers, the good realtor is going to pick up the phone and call that lender and go, That's hey, good. Brian, I got a letter from you about, you know, Joe Smith wanting to buy my house. And Robert's going to go, let me ask you some questions. And Robert might start out with, uh, what is your relationship with the buyer's agent? You know, do we have that long-term relationship where he goes, okay. Those two have been together for some time. You know, odds are they both do a pretty good job. So mm-hmm. that's number one. Brian, how long have you been in the business? You know, Brian, have you actually 
seeing the person's information and is it documented versus is this a prequal? That's good. I can send you a pre-approval letter, but in it it says I've never seen their pay stubs, their bank statements. Their, right. You know, so you you really want to ask questions, and and the, the good realtors will do that to ensure. Again, they don't put the house waste on the market, waste of time, take a contract, then they got to terminate. And then, because there's only what, like 250 ways a buyer can get out of buying a house, it seems like. So, yeah. good realtors will make that and cut that, cut those numbers way down. And if you're looking for uh, what those, what are those questions that we realtors would ask a lender and a good realtor would ask a lender, I should say, um, I have that on my website that I can have uh, available for you for download at rlwrealestate.com. Uh, questions to ask a lender and also questions you want to ask for um, the, the buyers once an offer is submitted into your property. So, so obviously let's shift a little bit. Um, you know, real estate is a very hyper-local entity, right? And so a lot of times people look at the, the news and there's, you know, the news is saying the sky is falling. And, and I tell my clients all the time, like, turn the news off. Let's talk about the, the numbers for where you are in the hyper local entity of real estate, which is, you know, Fort Worth or Dallas. And even more specifically, your zip code, your, you know, your county, et cetera. When it comes to the interest rates um, and a lot has been circulating about interest rates, let's talk about, you know, what impacts interest rates first and foremost. So with, with the interest rates we get, and we've seen a big change recently, and that has to do with the Fed, obviously, number one, uh, the federal government, the Federal Reserves has raised the rate in which they are loaning money to the banks. So the Fed lending rate, while it, it is not directly the interest rate in which we can borrow money, it affects what banks do to raise their interest rates mm-hmm. on the loan. So they're looking right. more at the two-year bond, the 10-year bond is what they're looking at. So... But that's number one that has an effect on interest rates. We were sitting down forever at 0%, which while we got down to affordability of 2.5%, 3% rates, we were able to borrow money from the government, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA. The Fed is, I believe, up to now currently 4.7%, which their goal is to be more than 5 But with rates being at 4.7% from the federal government, it has put us at an interest rate which is basically normal as far as long-term lending rates have existed throughout the United States. A normal rate is right around that 7% interest rate. We just all got spoiled and accustomed <laughs> to that two and a half, three percent 3%. And why would you not? Right. Um, you know, so, you know, when was the best time to buy a house, Robert? 30 years ago, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, it, and now when's the second best time to buy a house? Today. Absolutely right now. Yeah. You know, so uh, again, like you started out, you were like, I think you said spouse the house and and date date the rate. rate. Yeah. Uh, You know, people have speculations as to where rates are going and what's going to happen and what's going to take place. But, you know, if rates go up, it's like buying stock. If you bought stock and it went higher, you're pretty excited where you, what you got. But if it goes lower with a stock, you're not really excited. The good thing about buying a house and if rates go lower, I can refinance. I can, as long as it's beneficial to you to refinance. And again, it's a good question to ask your lender is go back in, refinance, lower your payments. Maybe at this point you want to change the terms and go to a 15 year because you figure this is your long-term house and I want to pay it off before I retire or now I'm making more money or so those are things. So that's how the government gets a lot of our rates. Now, as far as Robert back the buyer wants to buy a house, the first thing we look at Robert and go, Robert, what's your credit score? 
And you, you're, we're going to look at that to start you out with your credit score. So Robert's like, man, I got 780 credit scores. You know, they're off the chart, doing great. Great. Robert, what type of loan are you looking at? I'm doing a conventional. I'm putting 10% down. I got excellent credit. All right. What's your loan amount? They really love Robert when Robert gets that $300,000, $400,000, $600,000 loan versus Robert goes, I want a $50,000 loan. <laughs> right. Um, again, you get a better rate when you're borrowing more money because people are going to make a little more money off the loan. $50,000 loans, people are buying automobiles for $50,000 or more. You know, mm-hmm. some are buying 100000 plus. So it's not always your purchase price, but it's your loan amount. And they look at Robert's debt-to-income ratio. We talked about the 50% to see where he stands. And then we look at what type of property Robert's buying. Is he mm-hmm. buying a brick-and-mortar home? Are you buying a condo? Are you buying a townhome? Are you buying a manufactured home or a, a, a modular home? Mm-hmm. You know, so all those can come into effect as to what kind of rates you get. And it's all kind of thrown in together, and we go, ta-da, here you go, Robert. Here's your rates based on you got excellent credit, excellent down payment. you got a good loan amount. Your debt-to-income ratio is great. And the biggest one we love is single-family residents and townhomes. Yeah. So those carry the same. I, I recently saw a stat, two stats um, in particular. One is that since 1991, home value has gone up 333% on average wow. in the United States. Um, and then another stat from the National Association of Realtors is that uh, the average net worth of a homeowner in America is about $300,000, the net worth, whereas a renter is about $8,000. And that's a 40% you know, difference, right? 40 times the, the, the amount. So obviously, when it comes to home ownership, it's not um, trying to time the market. It's getting time in the market. The quicker you get into the market, the better your odds are, which goes back to that refinancing. So spousing the house, you marry that house, you get in. You get into the market as quick as possible. And then if interest rates go up, you're grateful that you got in early, right? Because the house value is going to continue to rise as we've seen historically. But if the interest rates then go down at some point, you can always, as you mentioned earlier, refinance. When it comes to refinancing, though, talk about, you know, what that looks like. Are there there additional fees? Um, You know, what is the process that goes into refinancing? So, so there's a couple of different options when you refinance and, and you're dead on about the house and home values going up. You know, I mean, if people like say the financial advisor saying, give me your money, let's sit on it for 40 years. And where is it going to be? Right. When you're trying to time the market from day to day. And if you're like a lot of us who have maybe tried to play day trader, <laughs> I'm not a day trader. Right. Um, right. That's not my job. Um you know, so so again, mine is to I'm going to trust somebody who's in this business, give them my money and let them go as for financial advising. But as far as the house goes, yeah, they they've constantly gone up. If, if you're trying to play it in six months, that could be a tough thing. If you're into the house to buy the house and you got some time, houses are going to go up. So um, so when you're talking about trying to get in there and figure it out from um, I lost your question for a second there, Robert. The, um, you know, refinancing as far as what are you looking at as far as cost-wise and things of that nature? Right. So refinancing, uh, yeah, the majority of the fees are back when you refinance uh, because you're trying to change an interest rate and a debt-to-income ratio on the entire house. So Robert bought the house at $300,000. It's now worth $400,000 later. Robert wants to refinance and could be for many reasons. Number one, he wants to take it to a 15-year 
Or number two, Robert now wants to pull some money out of his house to go in and do some repairs on the house or add a pool or stick some other things in the house. So those fees are back from the title company fees to the processing, to the underwriting, the attorneys, copies, couriers, all that. So um, if, if it's beneficial for Robert, either one, doing to the rates are lower, two, he's shortening his term, or three, he's getting some cash out, then that's what Robert needs to look at is what is the benefit of him refinancing? Got it. And there could be what they call also a recast mm. is what people have done also. So let's say Robert bought a house without selling his old house. Okay. I want to buy a house. I'm worried. I can't, you know, I, I, I want to put my house on the market if it sells, but I haven't found anything. I'm homeless. Well, Robert can afford two houses. So Robert, what Robert does is Robert goes and buys the new house, moves, that puts the house on the market. When Robert sells his existing home, what you're going to do is you're going to take those funds, the proceeds from the sale of that home. You're going to go back to that home you just bought, and you said, well, I know I owe $300,000 on this home. I would like to deposit another $100,000 on the loan, and I would like for you to recalculate my tax, my principal and interest payment based on a $200,000 loan, not a three hundred. dollars Mm-hmm. It does not change your terms. It does not change your rate. But the cost to do that is about $300. Mm, the cost to do a full refinance may be five, six, seven thousand $7,000 in fees. Right. So if rates aren't better, Robert would want to do a recast. Or, or maybe Robert got a bonus or Robert got an inheritance, and that's where he wants to put his money. So a recast could be a good option in those programs you know, versus a full refinance and having to pay all those fees again. Yeah, so we'll revisit the refinance here shortly. But when it comes to the recast, how often can I recast uh, my loan? I believe currently is once every six months. Okay. And most of them, you have to have a minimum of at least $5,000. Some programs may say $10,000. But got it. So if you got a bonus every year and you want to recast every year, that's what mm-hmm. you want to do with your money. Again, Every lender's a little bit different, so always consult your lender that is carrying your loan and reach out to them and ask. Got it. Yeah, that might be a beneficial thing for those who are currently in the market, bought a house in the last couple of years, and they got the 2.8% interest rate or 3% interest rate, and they got some money, they don't want to refinance and just do a recast on their property. Lately, we've been hearing a lot about 2-1 buy-downs. Can you talk a little bit about the 2-1 buy-down and or any other creative financing that Cardinal Financial has uh, available for uh, uh, home buyers? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, it, there's many different ways out there to help people to get into a home. And we talked about the different loan programs. So, number one, there is programs out there for down payment assistance programs. There are some city programs. There are some federal programs. So, what you're asking for is, again, the, the most common one we use is a, is a TSAC program. And it allows the buyer to get money to help toward the down payment and or closing costs. And as long as they stay in the house three years, make their payments on time, they don't have to pay back the money. Again, with these programs, these are to assist individuals to get into home. So they're not designed to help the individual or couple that that have made $200,000 and say, we want a down payment program. It's designed to help lower income individuals. So it depends upon the county is what it is. Um, some counties are 110, 111,000. Other ones will go up to 121,000. So that's number one. Number two is a two-one buy-down you talked about. This is being able to buy down your interest rate. 
So the example being, if the current interest rate is 7%, the money to use to buy down the interest rate, number one, comes from the seller, okay? Um, the seller can give the money to the buyer. And so a 2-1 buy down means their first year, their interest rate is 2% lower than the going rate. Mm. So if the going rate is 7, they're going to start out at 5%. Nice. The second year, it's at a 6% interest rate. And then for the remaining 28 years of that 38 year, 30 year loan, it's at their 7% interest rate where they were going to start with. So it's a five, six, seven. The two one buy down is designed for VA, FHA, and USDA loans. This is not designed for a conventional loan. Right. Now, you know, there, there are some, um, contribution limits when it comes to those type of loans as well. Um, when it comes to a VA loan or FHA loan, et cetera, what is, what are some of those percentages? I believe like the 4%, 5% as far as what can be contributed to the actual closing costs or to the loan. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah. So on the, on the VA loan, the, the buyer can receive up to 4% of the sales price from the seller. So again, we're going to stick with our $300,000 number and say, okay, if I'm buying a house, the seller can give me $12,000 to be used toward my closing costs and prepaids. Prepaids are your taxes, insurance, and interest. And the closing cost is basically everything else. So 4% could come from the seller to help that veteran get into a house. On an FHA, it's 6%. So if somebody's buying an FHA home and they're getting 6% from the seller on a $300,000, they can get up to $18,000, which can be used toward down payment. Not, I'm sorry, not down payment, closing costs, prepaids, and even buying down the interest rate, mm. okay? Um, that $6,000 can be used toward whatever they want to do it. So conventional loans have allow seller contribution also. So when you do a conventional loan, if you're putting down 5% down or less, um, you're typically allowed only 3% from the seller. Got it. When you put 10% down on a conventional loan, you can get up to 6%. Mm. You know, so again, those are good deals, good programs to have. You talked about other programs. You know, the thing to look at is, are you looking for a fixed rate, Robert? Are you looking for an adjustable rate? Um, you know, we talked about doing a recast if you're trying to do stuff in the future to put additional money down. Some of the other programs that are offered out there, there's one called Ribbon Program. Mm. You know, when, when our market, when we were putting houses on the market and, and, you know, Robert just threw it out there and said, don't worry about it because there's a frenzy on everybody buying a house. People typically have to sell a house in order to buy a house. For most of us, we can't afford two homes. So there was a program out there called Ribbon that allowed Robert, and I keep using Robert, but they allowed <laughs> Robert to make an offer to purchase a house, not on the contingency of the sale of his house. So one, his offer looked stronger. It helped him to get his offer accepted. And then Robert's goal was to still sell his current house to use the equity toward the down payment, get his own financing. And there was a fee associated with Ribbon to be able to, um, we view Ribbon as the rich uncle is going to be back there. So if Robert couldn't get his current household, the rich uncle bought the house and the rich uncle charged Robert a fee for buying the house and Robert can buy it for him later. But so there's some creative financing programs out there to work. Good. The question is again, just it's trying to ask and determine what are your goals? What are your needs? What are your wants? And we lay it all out. We can make recommendations as loan officers to what we think is best for you, but ultimately sit down with your spouse, sit down with your partner, sit down with somebody else and go, mom, dad, 
finance guy, CPA, what what do you think? And and right. get some people's opinions, and that's okay. Yeah, I think it's uh you know I, I tell my clients a lot of times there are opportunities out there for you even in, even if you don't have the opportunity to purchase right now maybe you're trying to get your credit together or you're getting your interest your your your, your down payment together but you love this particular house there's opportunity to actually rent first and then buy it later so there's many many different things that we can do to be creative in, in the actual home ownership process I think another thing is with that two one buy down. This is a great opportunity for our sellers out there. You know, we're seeing in our market right now a lot of homes staying on the market a little bit longer. A lot of more, a lot of homes being kind of overpriced based upon the current shifted market that we're in, and these incentives that we can give to our buyers and potential buyers, even when it comes to the very first week of being on the market. Our podcast last week was talking about how to sell your home in five days or less. And within that first week, offering some closing costs and incentives and two one buy downs and things of that nature that can help you when it comes to selling your home very quickly as well. So, uh, you know, thank you so much, Brian, for all the wealth of information you've given unto us today. Anything else that you have for us as far as last parting thoughts, or et cetera? Mine is just it's an ever changing market. You know, don't don't look at what was happening six months ago, five months ago, even maybe last month. Um, you know, the, the important part of, of working with a realtor is somebody can go in and pull the numbers. It's numbers, it's not opinions, and they can show you what's happening and where the market's headed and where it's going and, and what's the trend. So, uh, gotta, again, back to my financial investing and day traders, you know, if this is not what you do for a living, you, you've got to find the people you love and trust and, and put, your, put your faith in them and say, help me, lead me, take me down the right path. Yeah, absolutely. One of my core values of my real estate business is data-driven determination, uh, allowing data to help us drive us to uh, determine what we do uh, with our next steps and not just what we feel and what is being said, but what are the actual numbers that can help us determine our next step. And so, uh, Brian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. How would someone get in contact with you, Brian? So in order to reach out to me, the best way you can always just call me on my cell phone. Cell phone number is area code 817 219-5555. Um, or you can, if you want to email me, it's first name dot last name. So Brian, B-R-I-A-N. Last name is Tarbit. And it's like tar on a road and then bet at a casino. T-A-R-B-E-T at cardinalfinancial.com. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian, for the uh, information. And, Thank you. Uh, listen, uh, you will not be disappointed if you go with Brian. Brian is a wealth of information. He is here to serve and to connect. Um, and again, one of the benefits of having a local uh, lender is you can reach out to them. I had a recent situation where uh, I had a relocation client and they had a lender that was online and it was a weekend. We needed an offer submitted and we couldn't get in contact with the actual lender because they are not local. Are your local lenders? can help you and they understand the market and can help and help serve you in that regard as well. Uh, again, this is another edition of the Real Estate Talk with Robert L. Wagner. We are serving the Dallas-Fort Worth area and I help DFW residents alleviate the stress of selling and buying for the best possible price in the least amount of time and I would love to serve you. Again, rate us, review us and reshare this podcast with somebody today. RLWRealEstate.com is my website. Have a great day. Thank you, Robert. <laughs>